Thanks a lot, Nathan. I asked Nathan to do announcements for me because, yeah, I had vertigo this week, and so I'm not 100%. Uh, I'm a little sensitive to the light and to all the audio. I sat downstairs doing opening praise. So if I struggle or if I look like I'm struggling, I am struggling. But we're going to get through this together. And if I was smart, I would have prepared a, a short message, but I'm stupid. So I decided to do something even more, you know. So, But let's read the text today and uh, let's get to our sermon. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. What? I thought we were done. Uh <laughs> I'll explain it in a second. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, the word of God reads, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for everything in our lives. Uh, All the good things, all the challenges, all the curveballs, we trust you for all things and we know that you are good. So we praise you and we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I said two weeks ago, first of all, before I I begin, I just want to thank Aiden. Aiden, where are you? Are you here? Aiden, hey, great job last week. Let's, Let's give him a hand. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see him develop as a preacher, so thank you. But, you know, two weeks ago I said previously that I, was, I wanted to preach something on the Old Testament. I like to preach New Testament books, and then once I'm done, I do something in the Old Testament. I go back and forth. Um, I, a few weeks ago I, bought, I wanted to preach from Ecclesiastes. You know, I wanted to challenge myself. And I thought that's something that we, we could hear from. And so I bought a few books, and I started reading it for the past few weeks. And after reading those books, I realized, number one, I'm too stupid to preach this book. And then number two... I don't know if it's the right book for us. And so I got really confused. My wife turns to me and says, you know, hey, why did you skip that Lord's Prayer part in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and why don't you just preach that? And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. So, you know, you should listen to your wives' husbands. You know, they, they give you wisdom so often. And so I don't listen enough, right? There you go. Okay. I love it because she's quiet. I love it. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. And I thought, and I'll, I'll preach through the Lord's Prayer. And my hope is that you'll get a lot closer to God as you learn exactly what God wants from us in prayer. And so my, you know, as we close out this year, uh, I really hope that we close out this year as a, as a congregation who is engulfed in prayer. And that's what I would love for us to see. So, uh, you know, I included verses 5 to 8 in our passage today. I'm not going to preach in those verses because I did that already. But I, I included those verses because I wanted to refresh you not only on the context of what uh, the Lord's Prayer is all about and why Jesus, you know, preached it. But I wanted to share with you exactly what he was saying and the importance of what prayer was right before he taught the Lord's Prayer. And he was emphasizing the, import- the importance of actually connecting with God. Do you guys remember what we said prayer was? Prayer is a heart exchange that we have with God. It's a heart-to-heart. And so every single time we pray, whether we're at church or even before a meal, or whether we're in private, our goal is to have heart-to-heart exchanges with God. This is the prayer that God loves. When the center of our trust is in God alone for everything within our lives, even the meal that we're about to eat, or, you know, everything. 
And so this is the kind of prayer that God loves, that God rewards, and that God desires from us. And so it's in that context that Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to take a look today at, at, at the Lord's Prayer and what we all have all come to know as the Lord's Prayer. But it's kind of a funny misnomer, in my personal opinion, because Jesus Christ, the Lord, never prayed this prayer. What? Is that true? It is. He's never prayed this prayer. And the reason why we know that is because one of the lines in the prayer says what? You know, God, please forgive me of my sins as I forgive others, you know? And, you, and, and Jesus Christ never sinned. Therefore, we know that he never prayed this prayer. Do you guys get that? So if anything, it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer because it's not his, but it should be called what? Maybe the disciples' prayer, maybe our prayer, because this is the prayer that we're supposed to pray. Another interesting fact is, or something interesting about the Lord's Prayer, is how historically the church has used the Lord's Prayer, right? Maybe you guys have history like I do. When I was in year one, my dad took me to Chicago Full Gospel Church. Yes, you know, that's where I was. Yes. Anyway, I just thought you'd be happy about that. Anyway, I, I, my, my dad took me to Chicago, uh, to this church. And in year one, they handed out these little parchment pieces of paper like this, and they told us to stick it in their Bibles, and it was the Lord's Prayer. And they said, as a year one student, the teacher said, hey, every week that you memorize this verbatim, we'll give you a lolly. And I was like, man, you know, church... It's so brutal. I might as well get a lolly out of this. And so I memorized it every single week, and every single week I got a lolly. And not only did I get fatter, but I learned the Lord's Prayer. You know, and so, uh, it, but what's really interesting is I've said this prayer so often at church. Maybe you have too. I've said it over maybe hundreds, I, I know definitely hundreds and hundreds of times I've said this prayer at church. And if I'm honest with you, more than a prayer... I've kind of treated the Lord's Prayer as kind of like a mantra. You guys know what a mantra is? Something that you just say mindlessly, needlessly, thinking and being convinced that the gods, you know, like it when you just say this thing. I've said it over and over again, convincing myself that God must be happy if I say this thing verbatim. You guys, you guys feel like that? And, and so, so to me, it's always been more like a mantra than a real prayer. And if you ever heard, you know, forgive me if you're not Korean, but, you know, I always heard my dad praying this. I always heard Koreans praying this at church. And if you ever hear the Koreans praying the Lord's Prayer at church, do you ever notice that they emphasize the exact same syllables and they elongate the exact same syllables? And if you just listen to it, and I don't understand Korean that well, so when I listen to them all as a congregation pray this prayer, it sounds like a mantra. You guys know what I'm talking about? They all do it at the exact same time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, who taught these guys this mantra? Because that doesn't, that's not a prayer. Because prayer is supposed to be a heart-to-heart with God. So to me, it's kind of funny. You know, maybe you've done that too. But if we truly understand that prayers that God loves is a heart exchange, then we know that Jesus could never be down with people who say really beautiful prayers but have no heart behind it, right? Isn't that exactly what he kind of like yelled at the Pharisees for anyway? Isn't that what he rebuked the Pharisees for? Isn't that what he preached against? You know, as we talked about prayer, that's exactly what he preached against. And so I know that almost 100% of the time I've prayed the Lord's Prayer at church, I have, it was never a heart exchange. And part of the evidence behind that is because I memorized this thing in Old English, you guys memorize this thing in Old English? Hallowed, art, thy, you know? And the thing is, we don't use words like that in 2020. 
And so I know, I don't even mean that because I don't even know what some, I know what they mean now, but I never did for like 20, 30 years of my life. But I said those prayers, which means that it was never really from my heart, right? Do you guys ever say those words? Heart. Oh, heart. Art, you know, the hell of that. Anyway, if I were to have said it in my own language, I might have said something like, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, your name deserves all of the glory, honor, and praise, or something like that. That would make more sense than, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is what I'm talking about. Anyway, so I'm guilty of praying mantras and not heart exchanges, especially with the Lord's Prayer. And if you are too, okay, so here's the first application point. If you're guilty of praying this thing, like if they ask you, you know, at year three or whatever, if you're a teacher, oh, can you pray that Lord's Prayer for us, lead us in that? If you're guilty of heartlessly praying this prayer, please stop. Don't stop praying it, but stop praying it heartlessly. If someone asks you to pray this prayer at church, please engage yourself behind every word and pray it to God. You know, pray it meaningfully with all that you have, you know, because that's what God honors. That's what God loves. That's what pleases him, okay? Don't mindlessly say these prayers, okay? Value every line of it. Is it bad to pray the Lord's Prayer at church? No, it's not. But it is bad to pray the Lord's Prayer without heart. You guys get it? Cool? Is that clear? All right. Um, Where are we? But at the end of the day, Jesus isn't, is not teaching us this Lord's Prayer so that we can pray it at church. He's actually, the reason why he actually gives us this Lord's Prayer is to teach us how to pray. That's the whole point. The reason why Jesus actually gives us this uh, Lord's Prayer is to teach us a pattern of what prayer is and what pleases God in prayer. Okay, And that's exactly why God or Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And that's something that not only do we need reminders of, but that's something that the disciples actually never knew how to do. See, you guys are lucky. You guys grew up in church, and you guys heard great people. Yeah, you guys heard your teachers pray well. You guys heard pastors who pray. You guys have internet where you can hear prayers, real prayers. See, these guys back then, 2,000 years ago, you know, they grew up in the temple, and they, were, they weren't, prayers weren't personal. They were taught exactly the words to say. You know, and so they had to memorize these things, and none of that was personal. And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and you know, they see Jesus going off to the Mount of Olives and praying at all times of the day. And I'm sure the first thing they were they were saying was like, "Why is he going to the Mount of Olives? Why isn't he going to the temple and praying like everybody else does?" But then all of a sudden, Jesus teaches all that stuff that we just learned about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and they start, they're starting to get it. Oh, hold up. God wants a personal heart exchange. That's why Jesus goes off to the Mount of Olives by himself, so he can talk to God, rather than saying those rope prayers at the temple. And so they're starting to get it. But the problem is, they're like, okay, I get it. You know, prayer is supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be a heart exchange that I'm supposed to have with God. But the problem is, I've never had that. So exactly what does God want to hear from us? What, what does he want me to say? You know, what exactly am I supposed to say in prayer What does he expect? What pleases him? What doesn't? These are kind of like the same questions we have today, even 2,000 years later, don't we, when it comes to prayer. And that's exactly why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. He's telling us exactly what God wants to hear, exactly what he wants to exchange with us about. And through that, he's teaching us what really prayer is. And so that's exactly what he says when he says in verse 9, right, This, then, is how 
you should pray. That's the intro. This, then, is how you should pray. And when he said this phrase, he wasn't saying, hey, memorize these words and you'll, I will give you a lolly every single time you, know, you say it at church. Right? He doesn't want us to rote memorize this prayer. It was never meant for us to memorize like, you know, word for word and then to regurgitate it at church or to say it at the end of a service. You know how we say sometimes we say the Lord's Prayer at the end of a service? It was never meant for that. Not that that's wrong, but it's never meant for that. But it was meant so that he, Jesus was saying, this is how you should pray. And if, if I can rephrase exactly what he's saying, he's basically saying, here is a pattern of prayer that reveals what prayer really is and what God truly values in prayer. And when understood and practiced, it can help you. Pray prayers that will increase your devotion and your intimacy and your obedience to God. Do you guys get that? That's all in those seven words? Yes, it is. Right? That's exactly what those seven words are exactly saying. So, and that's the exact goal in a relationship, isn't it? You know, when we think about prayer, isn't the goal really to get closer to God? Isn't the goal to have my heart be more devoted to God as a result of that prayer? And isn't the goal of that prayer is that when I get up from this prayer, man, I want to obey and follow after him? Isn't that what happens in a relationship? You get closer, you get tighter, and you want to like... Uh, commit yourself even more to that friendship, to that relationship, that's exactly what Jesus said it should be about. And so in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to go over the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. If you thought verse was verse was bad, <laughs> we went through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go phrase by phrase. We're going to go even slower. So, uh, and, and once again, my hope through all this is that not only will you understand exactly what prayer is, but that it'll, it'll drive you to want to pray those things in exchange with God over those things. Okay, that's the whole goal of why we're going over the Lord's Prayer. So, you know, the Lord's Prayer has three parts to it. There's a beginning address, there's the body, which are like six requests, and then there's an ending address. Okay, now it's kind of funny that there's a beginning address because who else would we pray to but God? Dear God, right? that's what we're saying. But why is there an address? But believe it or not, in my opinion, and maybe in Jesus's, the beginning address might be the most important part of the Lord's prayer. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I think it's the most you know, poignant part of it because this is why it's important. This beginning address, this our Father in heaven, these four words. Because what he's saying is that whenever we come before God to pray, you always need to make sure that you know who you're coming before. You know how sometimes you just start praying? You don't even know who you're praying to, but you start praying at church or you start praying at a prayer meeting. Jesus says, no, before you ever start praying, you have to know exactly who you are coming before. And if you get it right, then it can change your prayer, right? If you get it right, and if you know exactly who you're coming before, then it'll do two things to your prayer. Number one, it'll help you pray confidently. And secondly, it'll help you pray reverently. Okay, that's a big word but it'll help you pray confidently and regularly. We'll go over those two things. The first thing is confidently. You know, when I say confidently, I don't mean like brave heart confidence. Have you guys, what, is this, is this an old reference? <laughs> What's a, anyway, brave heart, you should, don't watch that movie. You know, anyway, it's, a great, it's a great movie. Mel Gibson, Australian. Anyway, uh, you, know, you know, this machismo confidence. This is not what we're talking about here when it says you can pray more confidently. What it means by confident, and this word confidently, it means that, you, you know, a place where you feel secure a place where you know that you are absolutely safe, a place where you're absolutely covered 
in love, you know? And this is a place that we're talking about. This is what confidence means. And so, and that's all conveyed in the first two words of this prayer, our Father. Now, what you have to realize is when Christ told his disciples to pray our Father, it must have absolutely floored his disciples. And this is the reason why. You see, um, God being referred to as a father only occurred in the Old Testament 14 times, okay? And every single time it occurred in the Old Testament, every time, every each one of those 14, God was referred to not as a personal father, but as like a sovereign creator father. He was the father of the nation of Israel. So he was never ever in the whole Old Testament referred to as a personal father. But then all of a sudden Jesus comes along and says, hey, the most important thing that you need to know about prayer is that God is your father, your personal father. And that must have absolutely blown the minds of every single disciple. You know, and, and that's, But that's exactly what Jesus is conveying to us, that the most important part about prayer is that the desire that God has, the nature of the relationship that God wants to have with each one of us through prayer is like a father to a child. And you have to be convinced of this. You know, sometimes we come to prayer and we're kind of afraid. Sometimes we come to prayer and we're like, oh, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God accepts me. Sometimes we come to prayer and we have all these like insecurities. But God's saying, no, the nature of the relationship that I want to have with you through prayer is the relationship between a perfect, good, loving father and his children. Okay, and I'm going to explain that in the next few minutes. You know, I have two kids of my own, and my default emotion towards my children, I'll be very honest with you, and I don't say it because I don't want to make myself look like a good father, but my default emotion is joy, celebration, and affection. I can't help it. That's it's because they're my kids, you know? No matter what they've done to me that day, no matter how they may have hurt me physically, emotionally, whatever, when I see them sleeping at night, I melt. Okay, I, sometimes I cry. It's so like bizarre. Don't ever film that because it looks so freaky. But you know, but it's true. Every parent here knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, and then even in the morning, I tell you what, I'm dead tired. But they run into they run into our room every single morning at 5 a.m. And I, no matter how tired I am, no matter how bad their breath is, because it's nasty sometimes, I will still smile and hug them like crazy, and then I'll fall back asleep. You know, but you just because that's what it is. You just your def my default is affection. My default is celebration. My default is joy. And all that began, quite honestly, from the first moment I held my child in my arms. You knew life was totally different. Your whole life has just totally changed from that moment on. And, I, and, and so every, every parent here knows exactly what I'm talking about. All my closest friends said the exact same thing. One of them said this to me. They said, Eddie, the moment I held my first child, I knew that my whole life had changed. What I had valued and loved up to that moment didn't compare to the love that I had for my child. I knew from that moment on I would do anything, be anything, sacrifice anything for my child because all of a sudden in that one moment, my child became the most precious thing to me. Every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what happens when you become a father. That's what happens when you become a mother, a parent, right? And, you know, even my dad, you know, I, I know I shared a few stories about my father. I have so many more to tell, but I really believe that's how he feels towards me, albeit in his very traditional, abusive Korean way, 
You know, I just, I'm convinced that's how he feels about me. A father's default mode is affection, celebration, and joy. Some of our fathers are messed up because they don't know how to express, but deep inside, that's what they're, that's what's there. Okay, you got to believe that. But that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly God's default mode. That is the default mode of a perfect father to his children. And that's what's being conveyed behind those two words, our father. You know, a few years ago, I attended a funeral and uh, uh, there were two very moving stories about this father who had passed away. And one was shared by the daughter. And the daughter basically said, you know, before my dad passed away, he came up to me and he apologized to me because, and he apologized that he couldn't walk me down the aisle, right? I don't want to get emotional. I don't want to get anyone emotional. But anyway, that's a sad thing that, you know, a father can't walk his own daughter down the aisle. And, you know, what I, and, but what she said was, there's, you know, human fathers, you know, have the best intentions, but a lot of times they can disappoint us. But our Heavenly Father will never disappoint us. Our Heavenly Father is always there for us. And that's exactly what Jesus said, the last thing he said before he went up to heaven, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a good and perfect father. And that is a good and perfect father's heart for his children. Another story was told about this father from his son. And he said this. He said, when I was a little kid, my, my dad was my Sunday school teacher. And one day he opened up the cupboard and he pulled out this cup that was filled with this mysterious liquid. And everyone was freaking out because it looked so weird. And he said, who will drink this cup? You know, and nobody did. But then he called me up as his son to go drink it. And he said, son, will you drink this? And he goes, okay. And he drank it. And the teacher said, or the father said, why did my son drink this cup when he has no idea what's in it? And when all of you refuse to drink it, and the answer was what? It's because he's my son. He trusts me. He knows that I'm good, that I would never lead him into danger, that I always do what's best for him. And because he's convinced of that, and because that's the history, he drank the mysterious liquid. And the lesson to be learned was, he's like, look, if an imperfect, evil human father like me can convey that to a human son, how much more perfectly can we trust our heavenly father who is good and loving and perfect towards us? And that was the whole point. You know, that's our father. He's our provider. He's our protector. He's our confidant. He's our guide. But more than that, he's the one that unconditionally loves us and would sacrifice and already did sacrifice his best for our good, right? That's what a perfect father does. And even though we go through difficult times and even through times that absolutely confuse us, we know that we can trust him because he is good, perfect, and loving. Those two words, our father, carry a lot of weight, doesn't it? But there's even more. You know, what's really interesting, and this is what would have floored the disciples too. You know, Jesus just didn't use any normal word for father when he said, hey, pray our father in heaven. He said, I want you to pray the most affectionate word that children use towards a father. He didn't use the, real, the word father. He used the word daddy, right? Uh, and that's exactly what, you know, the word that children use. So Christ, is, you know, so Christ is basically teaching us essentially, don't ever pray our father in heaven. Pray our daddy in heaven. Have you guys ever prayed that? Daddy. When you, can you imagine starting out your prayer? Oh, daddy. Appa. Whatever, right? Have you ever done that? I've never done that. I'm like too afraid to do it because I'm Korean and I feel like I'm insulting him or something. But, I'm just, but I might try it this week because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But once again, what is it conveying? It's conveying the intimacy that God wants to have with you. 
He's conveying the nature of the relationship that he wants you to have with him. And that is of a child to a father. And so what's amazing about this is when Jesus tells us to pray like that, he's actually transferring this fatherhood of God theological doctrine into an intense personal experience for each one of us. As if he's anointing each one of us with the same ability and intimacy that he had with his own father when he prayed. And that is a gift. That is absolutely wonderful. So Jesus telling us that this intimacy, so he's telling us that this intimacy is to be the foundational awareness, the default mode that you're supposed to have when you come to God in prayer. There's never a need to fear. There's never a need to be scared, no matter what you've done in your life. There's never a need to be ashamed, no matter what you've done in your life. The foundational awareness that a father has towards his kids is joy, affection, celebration, embracement, or embracing. You guys get this? Our daddy in heaven. You know, many years ago, I had the biggest fight with my father. Um, we disagreed on certain key life issues, and we fought like there was no tomorrow. And I ended up saying, I ended up saying all these words. They were the most hurtful words that I had ever said to my dad. And, you know, the, what made it worse was I actually meant every word of it, and he knew it. And so, obviously, our relationship was severely broken. Uh, fast forward, we reconciled, and, you know, I apologized. But, you know... You can apologize for things that you said, but those words are so hurtful. I knew that those words were constantly still just flying above his head. And so, you know, I went to him again and I said, you know, will you forgive me? And he said, of course, I'll forgive you. And I said, but dad, do you still love me? And uh, this is what he said. He said, you know, Eddie, you can say whatever you want, because no matter what you say or how I react, you can't change my love for you because, because you can't change the fact that you're my son. Your blood is my blood. So how can, it, how, can it, how can my affections for you ever change? And I was floored by that. The fact that his love and affections are so intimately tied to the fact that I'm his kid. And how if I can't change the blood that courses through my veins and that makes me his son, therefore it can never change his affections towards me. That's what he was conveying to me and I was absolutely floored by that. Uh, you know, I love my relationship with my father because no matter how bad it gets, I know that I can just talk to him and I can be confident that no matter how badly I live my life and no matter how, no matter what choices I make in life to disappoint him, which I do like all the time, you know, his love for me will never change. And to me, that's what a daddy is. That's what, you know, there's one thing about being a father, being responsible, taking care of your family, but there's nothing to be a, a daddy where his love for you will never change. He'll always support you. He'll always be behind you. You know, he'll always be on your side. And that's exactly who our father is. He is Abba. He is dad. He's our father. And because of that, you can always go to him. You can always turn confidently to him, no matter what you've done with your life, no matter how much you've turned away, no matter how long you may have turned away, no matter how much evil you might have done yesterday or this morning, the moment you turn back to him and you cry out the words, Daddy, my Daddy, you'll find and discover that his arms are already outstretched, wanting to embrace you as his son and daughter. How powerful our Father. Those two words really convey. This is who God wants you to. Jesus wants you to know this is the person that you're coming before. Our Father 
in heaven. And so the first two words of this prayer do two things for us. Number one, it shares with us who God primarily wants to be within our lives, which is a father, and we explained it, a father or daddy. But if you think about it, it also authenticates our faith, doesn't it? Because it's saying that he has to be ours. It's our father. It's possessive. He's our father. And if you truly know that God is yours, and if you truly know that you are God's and secure in Christ, then you can come utterly confidently. You know this is your dad. This is your father. This is your heavenly father. And you can come no matter what. And you can approach him in confidence. However, the difficulty comes when you're not sure if he's yours, when you're not sure if you are his. And that's when you're, not only does your prayer life become difficult, but your whole spiritual life becomes difficult when you're not confident in the fact that you're his or that he is your dad. And if that's you, you know, can I invite you to pray today? Ask God to reveal himself to you in a way that makes you want to have faith in him because he wants to be your father. Right? So let's come to him that way. Knowing that God is our Father gives us confidence in our prayer. Secondly, if you truly understand who you're coming before, you will come to him in reverence, right? Just like I said before, calling God Abba was truly revolutionary to these Jews in Jesus' day because they only saw God as this transcendent, you know, almighty creator, father, or creator God. Uh, they've never seen him as this personal God. However, in 2020, I kind of think the opposite is kind of taking place. You know, these days in church, there's so much emphasis on the love of God and how God loves you and how he's your father that for some reason, I think we've kind of almost de-emphasized that he is a transcendent, almighty God of the universe. You know, um, those last two words, in heaven, reminds us that when we pray, we are coming before one who is eternal, one who's sovereign, one who reigns over the earth and the universe, and one that is holy. Yes, he's our father, but he's also God Almighty. He is transcendent, and that's the word I kind of want to emphasize. He's transcendent. What does the word transcendent mean? It means that he is way beyond anything human. He is way beyond anything that we can even understand or fathom. That is God in heaven, and therefore we should come in reverence. Well, what does that mean, though, to come in reverence? Does it mean that we bow? Does it mean that we curtsy? Does it mean that we change the way we talk? You know, do we talk softer and more respectfully? And the answer to that question is no. Of course we don't, because God hates pretense. God hates that kind of show. God doesn't want any, we talked about this, right? We don't, God doesn't want any of that stuff in prayer. God wants you to be yourself. God wants you to come as who you are, yourself, because he hates pretense and ritual. But coming to God in reverence means one simple thing. It means that the moment you start to pray before the God of the universe, you can never take any second after that casually. You know, you can never take prayer flippantly. You need to be invested fully in that prayer, knowing that you are standing before the God of the universe and to give yourself wholly to him in every moment of that prayer. You know what I'm talking about? You know how sometimes you pray mindlessly and then 10 minutes later you're like, what did I just pray about? <laughs> you know, or, or who did I just pray to? I don't even know what I said. It can't be like that because we're before the God of the universe and it's a privilege and it's an honor to be right there, you know? And that's what it means. Invest yourself fully and conscientiously in 
him. And that is how we respect and that is how we revere God every single time that we pray, whether we're praying at church or even when you're praying for a meal. You know what I'm saying? We never think about God when we pray for that meal, do we? Right? Sometimes we do. You're probably really good. You probably do, but most of the time I don't. I'm just like, rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Let's get this, you know, let's eat, you know? I don't think about God. But don't do that, ever, okay? Uh, you know, this week was a really tough week for me. I, yeah, I, you know, I had this vertigo incident. I'm still kind of like really groggy at the moment. Uh, and if I'm honest with you, uh, and you know, if I'm honest with you, I spent most of the week uh, complaining. I'm not mature enough just to be like all holy and like thank God for, you know, trials and stuff. I eventually got there, but it took like a whole week. You know, I spent the whole week complaining. I spent the whole week, you know, having this pity party. Um, but I eventually got there. And I did through one realization, and that was this. You know, I thought about God, and, you know, after complaining about all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden I came to this realization of who God is, that he's the transcendent God of the universe. And, you know, but I wasn't floored by that thought, if I'm very frank with you. But I was floored by this thought. If God really is the transcendent God of the universe, way above anything I can fathom or imagine, okay, fine, that's true. But yet, he cares about me. And he's fully invested in Eddie Bang. And it was that thought that floored me. The fact that this transcendent and almighty God actually cares about little old insignificant me. And that changed everything. You know? Um, because of that, what I thought was this problem that I have, maybe it still is a problem, all of a sudden it transferred, my whole perspective changed. It said, you want to know something? Yes, I have, a, I have this issue. But look at everything else that I, God has graciously given me, like my kids, my wife, this ministry, this church, my friends, you know, people who care, who, people who are praying for me, my family. I mean, I mean, we're going through some tough stuff in the Bang household, but... You know, and a lot of times our default mode is to look at those problems and to pray to God with problems in mind. But now, all of a sudden, I get to pray knowing that I'm cared for, loved, and adored by the God of the universe, the transcendent God of the universe that I don't even understand. But yet he cares about me, and he knows me better than I know myself. And yet he still continues to give me all these great gifts. But yet I choose to focus on this one problem that I have rather than looking at all the 99% of the gifts that he's given me. And this only transferred how I approach prayer and God, you know. And I'm so thankful that I have vertigo. And I'm so thankful that I can't even think at the moment. But, you know, I, I'm thankful, you know, because God is gracious. And he gives us all these great gifts all the time. And so that's how I pray. I pray. I pray. Uh, confidently yet reverently because I know that he's my father, but yet he's the transcendent God of the universe and it's an awesome privilege that he invited me into his throne room. And so, of course, I'm going to give myself fully to God every single time I pray, one, if I can. You know, this is how we can pray confidently and reverently. I know for some priests, so for some people that comes very naturally, you know, praying like that. But for other people, we have, you know, a very difficult time. It could be really confusing. But this is what I guarantee. The more time that you spend in prayer, the more time that you engage with God and invest yourself fully in God or with God in prayer, you'll grow to understand, you know, what these concepts are. Your relationship with God will deepen, will develop. And as you do, you know, there are going to be times that God will remind you how much you're loved by the Father. 
and his affections and his joy and his celebration over you. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it. And you're going to be confident in it. And that's going to be absolutely awesome. And there'll be other times in your life where he's going to reveal his holiness to you. And you might pee in your pants or you'll be scared or you or whatever. But that's so good, too, because we need both of those to have a healthy relationship with God and to have a relationship with God that is not only honoring but pleasing to him. And that's why. Jesus tells us to pray our Father in heaven. We need both the confidence and the reverence as we approach the Father. Jesus reminds us in this first sentence of the Lord's Prayer that before we even say a word or exchange anything before God, that we, rem- to, we make sure that we remind ourselves who we are really coming before. We're coming before our Daddy in heaven. If we get that right, you know, if we approach God in the right way, in the way that he always wanted us to approach him, then it can eternally transform every single word we say after that. You know, I was at this huge conference once about like three years ago. I was at this huge conference in the States and this really famous pastor came to the stage and for some reason he talked about prayer that day. I don't think he was supposed to, but he did. And he just said this. He just kept us. He just said, you want to know something? I, all I do in prayer, I, do, I never pray. I never start praying until I'm absolutely confident of the God that I'm coming before. And he was just like, what's the point of praying if you don't have God clearly in your sight? If you don't really know who you're coming for, there's no point in praying after that, you know? Um, and I think that's the point. Don't just pray. Never. Okay, here we go. Never just pray. All right? It's probably, it might be somewhat, I'm not going to say it's useless, because you can, you can always change. But always know who you're coming before, because that can literally change every word that you pray from that moment on. It's so essential. God is our loving Father, and because of that, we have nothing to fear. We can be confident. He's also our God, our King, transcendent. Therefore, we should never treat God flippantly or casually in every way. He deserves our utmost respect, honor, and reverence all the time. And if we, both, if we see God both as that way, confident and reverently, it'll transform the way we pray. Bottom line, never underestimate the first few minutes of prayer. That beginning address might literally be the most important part of that prayer that you ever pray because it can transform everything that goes on after it. I want to share one last thought before I close, and that's this. You know that first word of this uh, that Jesus tells us to pray? What word is it? It's the word our. Do you guys know what the word our means? O-U-R. It's the, possess- it's the plural form. It's the possessive form of us right? Our. So it's not a personal, private word, is it? But it's, it has corporate meaning, right? It's not me or my. It carries corporate meaning as if all of us are coming before God together. Do you guys see this? Our Father who art in heaven. And if you notice the rest of the prayer, everything's in our, basically. Right? Forgive us of our sins. You know, everything's in our, collectively. What does that mean? I know that we always, we've always taught you 
that prayer is this personal communication, this personal connection, this personal communion that you're supposed to have with God. And it is. But for Jesus to start this prayer off with the word our instead of my is so significant because he's calling us to recognize that maybe the only way to truly pray a prayer that honors and pleases God is what? when our hearts are truly committed to love each other in our church. Did you ever think about that? It's crazy. But maybe the only way, that can, and, and if you're Korean or if you're Asian or, or you know, Confucius, you kind of understand, you know, parents are always like that. He's like, you know, no matter how much you hate your, your brother or your sister, you guys are, you guys are brother and sister, <laughs> you know? You guys are fa- one family. Yeah, like my parents used to say that to my, me and my sister all the time because we fight all the time. But you know what I'm talking about? And they, that's exactly, maybe, maybe that's exactly the only type of prayer that God wants. When he knows that your heart loves the people in your church and you come to him knowing that you care just as much as about your brother's needs as you're your own and God's confident of that, maybe that's the only way to really please God in that prayer. Our, you know? God brought all of us here. He's the one that called all of us. No matter what race you are from, no matter what background, no matter what age you are, you could be 46 or you could be 26 or you could be 16. It doesn't matter. This is the church that he's brought us to together. And God's saying, I want you to love your brother in your church. I don't care what personality type he has. I don't care if he's annoying or I don't care if she's like that or she's much older. I don't care if she has two kids and you're single or whatever. Who cares? I brought you guys together. And you guys are my family. And there's a huge part of this when we say our Father who art in heaven, where God is saying maybe the only way to truly please me in your prayer is when I'm confident as God that you care just as much as your brothers and sisters as you care about yourself. Huge, isn't it? I don't mean to make you feel guilty. I just thought it was a cool insight you know, that I read. That's like the last thing I just wrote. But I just thought it was pretty cool. But I think it's real. I think it's huge. So, you know, when, this, when we pray our, even before we get to the Father part, when we pray our, it's not only an, up, an upward call to love God and to be loved by our Father, but it's the outward call to love our brothers as ourselves and to truly love each other and care for each other as if we truly are family. Right? This is the type of prayer that really does please God. So let's learn to come confidently and reverently to God together. Let's be people who are committed to each other in this church so that we can love and be loved by our Father in heaven. Let's pray. You know what I love most about prayer? is that it proves to me that I'm God's child. I love that. That he loved me enough to die for me, to adopt me, to care for me as his own. I love that. And prayer, you know, as I share my heart with God and he shares his heart with me, no matter what the content is, the bigger picture is that it affirms that I'm his and he's mine. And I love that. Our Father. If there's anyone here who may not be confident of that, Let me tell you, you can be. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could enter into his family. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, will you do so today? 
If you need to come back to Jesus, will you do so right now? Confess your need for your heavenly Father. Turn from your sinful living. And from this day forward, obey his commands. You do that, then you'll be confident that you are his child. For all of us in this room, let's commit ourselves to never praying until we truly know who we're coming before. And let's really be a Christian that cares for our brothers and sisters' needs just as much as our own so that we can truly be his church, his bride that loves our daddy together. Let's pray. so much that you love us and God that your default mode is to embrace us to celebrate us to be joyful towards us father we thank you that the nature of the relationship that you want to have with us is, to, is, is a father to a child and Lord it's not just you know a distant relationship but it's a it's a daddy close relationship and Lord we thank you that you invite us into that that we can share in that with you. God, I pray for every single person in this room. Help us to learn how to pray, but more than learning how to pray, help us to truly experience the essence of prayer, which is intimacy and devotion with you. Lord, draw each one of these people in this room closer and closer to you, God. Reveal yourself to them in such a way that they trust you, that they know that they can trust everything into your hands, and God, that they can just love you with all that they have. And Father, even truly carry each other's burdens just as importantly upon our hearts. Lord, teach us how to be your church. Teach us how to pray as your family. And Lord, help us to be brother and a sister who will truly love each other as much as we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.